I, I, I want to say, first of all, Reagan, I really was hoping you had forgotten that conversation. Uh, it's funny how it comes up, and I thought, I thought he forgot about that a long time ago. But what a blessing uh, Reagan has been. They've been such good hosts. Stephanie, thank, thank you for the wonderful hospitality both you and Reagan have given to us. And to be around your granddaughters, I mean, that's just special stuff. I always say life begins when you have grandkids, and it's true. Uh, the grandkid deal is a good gig. If you, when you, when you, you understand, don't you? Uh, it's just a, it's just a wonderful blessing to have these grandchildren. Uh, so love, love Madison, love Brooklyn. I've enjoyed uh, every minute with them this week. And I've enjoyed being with y'all. Y'all are just such wonderful people. I remember the first time I came to Timberland Drive. I hadn't been a Christian long. And I was about 19. I think it was a year after I became a Christian. Came down here. Just such wonderful hospitality. And it hadn't changed through all these years. And so i never forget the, the group of us came. And somebody couldn't wait to, to I think it was the Spradlins. Is that their names? Spradley, thank you, the Spradleys, uh, invited all of us into their home, so, such hospitable people. So uh, your hospitality this week has just been wonderful. The meals have been outstanding. All these desserts, I just wanted, I, all I could think about is what Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, on these desserts. Uh, just uh, delicious and and Melody, I think you did the chocolate chip cookies, and that is my weakness, uh, chocolate chip cookies. So thank you all for your wonderful hospitality, your kindness uh, in regard to my preaching and uh, the good comments that you, you have made to me. I, I appreciate it immensely. Uh, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 7, and we'll read through verse 10. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. That's verse 6. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We learn here that God is all-knowing and will not be deceived or outwitted by anyone. We are deceiving ourselves, ladies and gentlemen, if we think God will allow us to turn our nose toward him in disdain, as if we could really outwit God, and not receive, keep in mind, not receive the recompense of punishment for denying God and, and, and disobeying God. Because he goes on to say, for whatever we keep on sowing, is the idea in the English, we will keep on reaping. And Paul uses this agricultural language to get across that whatever we sow is what we will reap. 
if we sow cotton seeds, we will get a cotton crop. And that will remind you that I was in West Texas 30 years. Saw a lot of cotton. And the sowing in this context is obviously figurative. Paul states earlier that we walk by the Spirit. In chapter 5 and verse 16, we're led by the Spirit. Chapter 5 and verse 18, and then we live in the Spirit. Chapter 5 and verse 25. And the opposite of this walking by the Spirit-led Word of God is to be led and to live in the flesh. One leads to heaven. One leads to hell. And then Paul says in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 starting in verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. He says we have no debt to the flesh. We, we don't need to spend any of our time dwelling on the flesh, to live for the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, he's very emphatic by saying you will die. But if you, through the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. To live after the flesh is frankly just to live a worldly life. I think we all understand what a worldly life looks like. Those of us that were in the world and came out of the world, we know the things that are worldly. And we don't want to have any part of them. That was our old life. We now have a new life in the spirit. Faithful Christians are debtors to attend to the things of the Spirit. We, are, we must keep our spirits righteous and pure, always remembering that our spirits endure to eternal life. And sadly, if we live after the flesh, it'll cost us our soul in hellfire. You see, the Spirit leads through the power of the gospel. And in that revelation, the Spirit tells us how to live. And sets motives before us to induce us to follow his directions. You see how the spirit is intertwined and totally involved in the word of God. But if we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. In Galatians 5 and verse 19. Look again in Galatians 5 and verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are these. And then he gives these long list of the sins of the flesh and the heart and the mind. He lists these works of the flesh, and he says it's the product of the flesh that brings forth these sinful desires, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the final harvest of that is a flesh sore, and it leads to corruption. And in chapter 5 and verse 21, he states that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We cannot kid ourselves. If we live in the flesh, if we live like the world, if we talk like the world, and we conduct ourselves 
in the world, then we will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the other sower promotes the Spirit, which includes the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. There's no law against doing these things in our lives. If we get punished for doing these things, then we should feel blessed that we're living a life according to the fruit of the Spirit and in accordance to the will of God. Sowing for the Spirit and reaping from the Spirit includes all our spiritual activities. Sowing for the Spirit is sometimes hard work, long-continued work. And although the harvest is eternal blessedness, we may, while we are waiting for it, sometimes grow discouraged. There is only one danger that faces the spiritual farmer. There is only one thing that can hinder this harvest. It is doubly expressed here, the idea of to lose heart and to despair. As describing a disheartened farmer, the picture is graphic. And as describing the disheartened Christian, the picture is equally striking. Now let's keep in mind that when we think about well-doing, what should come to our mind is that this well-doing is based on the spirit of truth. The Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 6 that the spirit is the truth. Well-doing must be dominated by a life that is directed by God's will. And if we want to have a good life in the Lord, we'll follow His will in every regard. If we want to have a good marriage, we will love our spouse as we love our neighbor by looking after the best interests of our spouse without expecting anything in return. If we want to be successful parents, we'll read and study the Word of God every day with our children. We'll pray every day with our children. And we will love them immensely. We will not only have affectionate love, we will have agape love to where we totally look after their best interests without expecting anything in return. And if we want to make an impact on this world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, this world will know that we look at them as a precious soul and that we love them. I always told teachers all the years that I was principal and superintendent of school, parents know if you love their child. Years ago, I, I remember a parent told me that he had a, a conversation with a teacher about his son. And then that uh, teacher said, well, your boy does this. And he, and he won't sit still. And he cannot stay uh, focused. And went on and on and on. And then that parent finally looked at her and said, I think I know the problem. And she, and uh, why are you failing my boy? And she said, what is it? She, he said, you don't like my boy. And you know something? He was right. 
And I'll give the teacher credit, that turned her around. He started being more successful because she started viewing that kid differently. She started having a manifestation of love toward that child, an interest in him being successful. What a novel idea. And it's the same way spiritually. We need to look at everybody in this audience and say that you have great potential to be stalwarts in the faith and be ones that have so much knowledge of the Word of God, you're going to make a difference in this lost and dying world. We need to view each other that way. We need to be optimistic. When we talk about the church, we need to talk about what's right with the church. We need to build it up. We need to build one another up. We need to love one another. We need to be able to say, Reagan, I love you. Brent, I love you. You could go on and on throughout this uh, auditorium. We do love one another. We truly try to look after each other's best interests without expecting anything in return. And it's okay. We had to train our dad. Us five boys, we're affectionate boys. And it took him forever to understand every time we saw him, he was going to get a hug. And you know, I think he finally liked it. Now, that wasn't a problem with my mother. She taught us how to hug. But we had to train our dad that we love you. And we're going to show it. And he's lucky we don't give him a holy kiss, but we gave him a hearty hug. I said that in, at Rice Road. I don't know how many know Matt Strode. And I said, you know, I was talking about the Holy Kiss and how it was an Eastern uh, uh, custom. And I said, we usually give a hug or a hearty, a hearty sh- handshake. And then after the ser- service, Matt Strode came up here and kissed me on the cheek and said, now you've gotten your Holy Kiss. <laughs> but that's okay, isn't it? I know Matt Stroh loves me. And it's okay to show and manifest love to one another. I know personalities are involved. Uh, you know, I, I had one guy at one congregation. Every time I came in and I came toward him, he'd go like this. He'd get his hand out <laughs> and make sure I don't get a hold of him. And that's okay. I, I get it. You know, when somebody gets their hand up, I say, oh, I think maybe they want a fist bump. But everybody has a different personality. I understand that. But we have to show that affection and that love for one another. Well-doing must be dominated by life that is directed by God's will. And God expects us to be obedient to his will in all things and also have the proper attitude of hearts and minds in obeying his will. That's why he told the Samaritan woman, at the well, true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. If we have truth and we don't have proper attitudes of heart and mind, we'll lose our soul. But if we have good hearts and minds and we don't have truth, we will lose our soul. It's going to take both. We need to be about the business of worshiping the Father with spirit and in truth. And furthermore, God in his sovereignty chose to save those who would be obedient to his will. And we cannot allow, let me say it again, we cannot allow discouragement in things both spiritual and physical to make us weary. 
and well-doing. There's too much at stake. It's the saving of our souls. And to grow weary is the idea of being discouraged and faint-hearted. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, notice how Paul expressed it here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll look at, start first of all, verse 1, and then we'll skip down to verses 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1, and then 16 through 18. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, and keep in mind, Paul's ministry was full of successes, failures, uh, people that treated him well, had wonderful hospitality, loved him, and those that tried to kill him. As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Paul understood that he received the greatest mercy he could have ever received on the road to Damascus when that bright light shone. And and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. What would you have me to do, Lord? Give Paul credit. He asked the right question. He said, go into the city and it will be told you what you must do. And then remember Ananias came to him and said, Why tarest thou? Rise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So here you have this man that persecuted and killed Christians. He's overwhelmed with gratitude that the Heavenly Father has permitted him to be greatest, not greatest among sinners, to become the least among saints, and he continually praises the Lord for forgiveness. Now let's read verses 16 through 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction. I'm always shocked when I read that. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, Paul attributes his transformation from prosecutor of Christians to preacher of the gospel to God's marvelous grace. And I guess the question that we need to ask, how can we have the same attitude as Paul to avoid discouragement and to never give up? How can we be courageous and confident and bold in the Lord? We must remember not to, we faint not means that not even the breakdown of our bodies, the disappointments in life, and all the discouragements that we face in the outward things of life will lead us to forsake our duty to the Lord. We will not let anything get in our way from being faithful to the Lord and ultimately go to heaven. And ladies and gentlemen, we must not faint because there are too many positive factors in life that encourage us to persevere. 
We have the encouragement of our Heavenly Father's abundant mercy shown toward us in saving us from our sins. I still look back at that day. I'm still thankful that I lived life long enough to where I could obey the gospel and have my sins washed away. I'm so thankful for that. We have God's providential care that sustains us in life and takes care of our necessities. What a blessing that is. We have a godly family, this family of God that supports and helps us whether we are rejoicing or weeping. And I know this congregation. Y'all are wonderful in that regard. Y'all help each other. Not only do you help each other as far as benevolence toward people of the world. As individuals, you go out and you help people. You try to make a difference in the people of the world's lives. You try to influence them with the gospel as individual saints the way we're supposed to. And then we have prayers of support and thanksgiving offered on our behalf. By so many saints of God. There's nothing I think that seems to be greater in my mind than when I have a care and I express that care and people pray for me. What a wonderful thing that is. What a powerful thing that is. And when we think about our blessings and we have an abundant amount of blessings based on our faith in Christ Jesus, doesn't it become overwhelming and awe-empowering that we're so blessed? We have to look at the blessings and deal with the negative things of our life. And the reality is that our outward man is perishing Yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. One writer noted, our bodily vigor and strength are being consumed. But our inward man is experiencing new strength and vigor on a daily basis. That is well put. We're letting our bodily vigor and strength be consumed because that's the way it happens anyway. Our body goes the way of the world. But our spiritual strength and vigor needs to continue to grow daily, no matter what our age is. How, and so how can we experience new strength and vigor on a, a daily basis? Well, read, meditate, and study the Word of God every day. Pray all the time. Do something every day for someone else. My good friend Russ Bowman used to say when he'd get a little down... And he'd tell his dad, Dad, he said, you know, I'm just a little down, Dad. And he said, he said and then I, I know, I made a mistake. I mentioned to my dad I'm a little down. And he said, now, he said, son, you know how you can, can be lifted up? And he said, I know, Dad, I know, I know. He said, no, I'm going to tell you anyway. You need to go help somebody. You need to go serve somebody. And then he said, you'll be lifted up. And D's right. We'll be lifted up if we'll get away from self and start serving others, trying to help others. Talk to somebody about the, the gospel. 
Have that benevolent spirit with others, especially our brethren. Encourage the faint-hearted. Continually sing spiritual songs. Faithfully assemble with the saints. Paul compared anything he suffered in this life as a slight momentary trouble in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. He continually had the right perspective in that he looked beyond the outward circumstances of this world and focused on the goal of eternal life in heaven. And may the Lord give us courage to share Paul's perspective on life by not growing weary in upholding the faint-hearted and weak. That can, that can be a job when people are continuously faint-hearted and weak spiritually. But Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, he said, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. But it, be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. This work of trying to uphold the, the faint-hearted and weak, it starts with the elders. But it must not stop with the elders. We must all be involved in exhortation and patience and encouragement toward the faint-hearted and weak. When one first becomes a Christian, it will take time, it'll take effort, it'll take prayer, it'll take much patience to help this young Christian grow and become strong in the Lord. No one comes to the Lord and is automatically a complete mature Christian. It takes work for all of us. And it takes great effort and courage on their part and great effort and patience on our part. And what about someone who has been a Christian a long time and still has great struggles in their faith? I guess the question is, how patient are we with them? Well, Jude 22 says, and have mercy on some who are doubting. And we must not grow weary saving others with fear, pulling them out of the fire, Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh, Jude 23. We might not like what they're doing or what they're saying, but we're going to try to pull them out of the fire. We're going to try to do our part to make them go in a positive direction, a spiritual direction, a direction where they need to go instead of being on the edge of, of apostasy. And this passage reminds us that we do not excuse sin but we constantly try to pull fellow Christians out of the fires of spiritual destruction with the attitude of gentleness, reverence, and all of God. And additionally, we must never have the frustrated attitude of giving up on those of our family who are faint-hearted and weak. I have unfaithful people in my family. It just breaks my heart. But I'm not going to give up on them. 
I'm going to keep working with them until I die or they die. We got to keep on keeping on with our own families. We need to be ready to throw out a lifeline to those who are floundering in the sea of sin and despair. James said in James 5, 19 and 20, Brethren, if anyone among you should wander from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That is such a strong passage. You'll save them and then you'll cover a multitude of sins. And that leads me to my second point. Let us not grow weary in teaching and preaching God's word. Let's, get, let's, just, be, let's just face it with us going out and trying to teach others with the gospel. We can never get wrapped up in the fact that I have brought this many to Christ. And, I, and I've been there. I remember when Christian and I were preaching in Lubbock, it, we, were, we were having a baptism every week in, in a certain stretch. We are just getting classes everywhere. And then I, I go to full-time person work in Houston. In the first six months, Christian and I, here my pregnant wife with Mishaya, we were going all over the country, and we had 60 classes. And we baptized like eight or nine people. And then you get in these droughts, and you, you cannot grow weary. You, you work and you work and you have classes and you try to talk to people and you invite them and you try to get involved in their lives. It's work. But all the Lord w- wants us to do is plant or water and He gives the increase. We need to quit beating ourselves up about personal work and go out and do it and keep on keeping on and talking to people about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can do it. Yes, there are droughts, but then there are times where you think, oh, this will last forever. Look at all the people that are coming to the Lord. But you have to keep on. You have to keep working. You see, teaching and preaching God's Word is well-doing. That ought to be without weariness. And if we feel worn out or faint, we must remember that the gospel of Christ is what saves every sinner and strengthens every saint. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that disbelieveth shall be condemned. In Romans 1.16, that's Mark 16, 15, 16. In Romans 1.16, for, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power unto God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And if we're preaching that pure, unadulterated gospel to people, and we're doing it with meekness and kindness, we're doing our work. And we must have that spirit of determination to act from principle and and selfless motives. Bible class teachers might need a season of rest from the classroom, but bearing talents and retiring from the service of the Lord is not an option. God's retirement plan is in the next life. (laughs) In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12, notice with me. 
Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you. Notice, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Epaphras, this great servant of Christ, he's an encourager. He's fervent in his labor. He keeps on doing the work of the Lord. Titus 3.14, And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. So in the local church, we cannot let the work of reaching others with the gospel fall on a faithful few. It takes all of us. We all have to be busy in it. We must all do our part with our specific personalities and abilities to talk or write or text with people about the gospel of Christ. And Paul is exhorting all of us not to quit. But remember the harvest is at the end of the labor in the Lord. And if we keep on sowing to the Spirit, we will reap life everlasting. And when the blessed harvest season arrives, we will wonder why we ever thought of getting tired and become discouraged. It's, it's, it's something to me how easily we can get discouraged when we have the Lord on our side. And, and we forget with the Lord on our side, we will always be in the majority. And then that leads me to my final point. Do not grow weary in giving ourselves to the Lord and others. You see, the apostles were the great example of this and leaving everything and following Jesus. You remember in Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, 16 through 20, Jesus was walked by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And obviously both, both Simon and Andrew and James and John were successful fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Come after me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. That never ceases to amaze me. They left all to come to the Lord. And then in Luke chapter 5, 27 and 28, and after these things he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, who we know as Matthew, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me, and he left all, rose up, and followed him. Incredible. Just left it all and followed him. And, and this desire and attitude to leave all to follow Christ is a stark contrast with the, the attitude and desire of the rich young ruder in Mark 10, 17 through 31. He desired to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he was unwilling to give up the very thing that would keep him from being a follower of Jesus. Remember, he went away grieved or he had great possessions. So our desire and attitude must be that we let nothing stand in our way of serving the Lord. We will put the Lord first in our lives in everything. 
We will view the things of this world as having no eternal significance and keep our sights on those things eternal. This will motivate us to always put God first and others before ourselves. Our Christian walk should be dominated by selflessness and humility. In lowliness of mind, we should regard others as more important than ourselves. And we not only need to look out for our own best interest, but we need to look after the best interest of others. You see, brethren, it all comes, I think, down to, to what Dan Shipley said in an article that I'm going to quote. And I, th- I think this ex- expresses what I'm trying to get across. He says, we must remember the discour- that discouragement is temporary. It will soon pass. With faith we can overcome. No temporary problem is greater than the Lord's work. Succumbing to a case of Elijah blues only compounds our problems and hurts others. While leaving God's work undone. Nothing encourages discouragement more than remembering and mentally rehearsing our misfortunes. The remedy is in setting our minds on things that are above and pressing on. I, I like what Winston Churchill said during a commencement speech at his alma mater. And this was 10 months into World War II. He said, never give in, never give in, never, never, never in nothing great or small. Never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. My favorite song is about to be led when we all get to heaven. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare a place for us. While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will be overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting and serving every day. Just one glimpse of him in glory will the toes of life repay. Onward to the prize before us. Soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open. We shall tread the streets of gold. When we all get to heaven, what a blessed day that will be. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. I don't think I could end a gospel meeting uh, any better than the lyrics of that song. Let's stand and sing. Sing the wondrous.